Amen. Thank you to the worship team. Thank you. All right, we're going to jump back into Scripture. We're in the middle of Daniel. And uh, like I said, we're not going to be able to finish Daniel before Advent, as I had hoped, because uh, we're going slower than I expected. But we're going to cover a lot of ground, Lord willing, this morning. Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 to 31. So we've got 31, 31 verses to cover in uh, 45 minutes or so. But we'll see how it goes. We've been talking about Daniel. He's got the whole world in his hands, that God is sovereign, that God is in control. And I think what we see in this section here is that because of that, knowing that God is truly in control, we can live without fear of anything in this world. That when we trust in God's sovereignty, we can live without fear. Uh, As I said, this Tuesday is not only Reformation Day, but it's also Halloween. Uh, so you're going to try to see a lot of scary stuff, a lot of things to cause fear on Halloween, right? you got scary costumes and scary decorations and, and so-called haunted houses. You know, we like to, our culture, we like to play with fear uh, during the, the Halloween uh, uh, holiday here. In fact, i got a little picture here. You can throw that up there, Josh. So uh, if, you, if you're into the sort of haunted house things, I don't believe in ghosts, by the way, but if you're into this stuff, you can stay overnight at the Waverly Hill Sanatorium in Kentucky. Now, why would you want to do that? Because it is supposedly one of the most active haunted buildings in America. It was constructed in the early 1900s, designed to treat tuberculosis patients during the epidemic. This led to experimental procedures that saw thousands of patients of all ages die, Deaths became so common that a tunnel was built to move the bodies without other patients seeing all of these bodies coming out through this place. So the place is abandoned. It's so massive it actually has its own zip code. And you can stay overnight from midnight to 8 a.m. for $100 per guest. Anyone interested? I don't know. I I think we'll probably avoid that. So we we like to play with fear, don't we? What do you fear? You fear spiders? I thought about throwing a big picture of a spider up there, but I thought, yeah, guys, no one's going to like that. Some people don't like it. Snakes, ghosts, witches, heights are among the highest uh, forms of fear in this world. Public speaking, right? That's what a lot of people fear, having to get in front of others and actually talk. That's a fearful thing. But then there's more serious fears. I'll talk about my own fears. Fear of not being a good enough dad. Uh, the feel, fear that I'll fail you guys as a pastor in some way. You know, there's, there's other fears that cause anxiety or worry uh, within us. Well, all of you have noticed from the first four chapters of Daniel that Daniel and his three friends are fearless. <laughs> They've been exiled, so they're in a totally foreign country among all different foreigners, living in this huge palace, much be extremely intimidating, uh, and yet they are fearless. They're willing to take a stand when it comes to their diet. They're willing to interpret the king's dream. Uh, or we saw the, the furnace uh, in the face of the, the very furnace not being willing to bow down to the statue. What gives them that sense of complete fearlessness in the face of danger? And it's a sense of the sovereignty of God over all of life. And I think, friends, it's true that the, in the Christian life that we too can live without fear. Without fear of judgment, without fear of failure, without fear of man. Look with me. Chapter 5. We're going to read the whole chapter. 1 to 31. We meet another king. Nebuchadnezzar has passed away. We'll talk about that in a little bit. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver 
that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him, as you might imagine. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, that, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven 
And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, in whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. When we trust in the sovereignty of God, we can live without fear. So we're going to look at uh, four, four people, four individuals, I guess you could say. Uh, the first is we're going to look at the frightened king in verses 1 through 9, Belshazzar, then a confident queen in 10 to 12. Then we're going to look at Daniel, a fearful, fearless witness in 13 to 23, and then the Most High God in 24 to 30. So that's where we're going. There's an outline in your bulletin. Feel free to pull that out if you'd like to look along and uh, take notes or anything like that. We will have the, the, the outline and the scripture up on the screen uh, in front of us. But first, let's look at the, the frightened king in verses 1 through 9. Uh, this is Belshazzar. Uh, he calls himself uh, the the son of, the, of Nebuchadnezzar. But by son, he doesn't mean necessarily that he is the... He mean, what he could mean is he's a descendant. So a few generations have actually passed. He's not the direct son of, um, Bel- of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And really, he's not necessarily even really the king over all of Babylon. Uh, his father, Nebuchadnezzar, is the last king of Babylon. But we do believe that Belshazzar was sort of set up as a vassal king. He's, he's set up to oversee a certain area. So he's not really like Nebuchadnezzar, the king of everything. He's the king of a certain area. He sets this huge feast for a thousand lords. Uh, They're all drinking and getting drunk. He brings out his concubines for them to enjoy. And he has this wild party. And actually, we know that there were wild parties from other historians, uh, Herodotus and Xenophon, that there were wild parties thrown in Babylon in their last days before Persia conquered them. But he does something even more than that. He brings out the vessels of the temple in Jerusalem. You may remember that Nebuchadnezzar conquered the temple in Jerusalem. And he took all of its stuff and he brought it to Babylon. However, Nebuchadnezzar, as proud as he was, he never went as far as to actually take the items and use them to get drunk with his friends. This is a step beyond that. The sacred items of the temple are now used for them to basically party. One uh, commentator writes, he spits in God's eye, as it were. And then he goes over to a statue that he himself has created and expects that lifeless hunk to protect him from what is to come. So not only does he party with this stuff, but he also begins to praise the gods of gold and silver, iron and so forth. And then, as we read, what happens? The fingers... Of a human hand appear out of nowhere. 
and they begin to write something that he can't understand, he can't interpret on the wall. <laughs> Talk about fear. What happens to Belshazzar? Uh, he is terrified, completely terrified. His color changes, it says. His thoughts are alarmed. His, his limbs give way. His knees begin to knock. I mean, he is scared out of his mind. One commentator, uh, Ian Duggett, says that uh, actually the, the Hebrew may mean that he actually wets himself. Uh, he loses control of his bodily functions at this point in time. He is truly scared out of his mind. So what does he do? He calls the magicians, and they do what they do all throughout the book of Daniel. Nothing. Now, they're completely useless, if you've noticed that. The, all of his enchanters and magicians, and they can't do anything. They're of no value whatsoever to Babylon uh, throughout the entire book. Uh, but he makes all of these big promises. I'll give you gifts. I'll give you a gold chain around your neck. And basically everything about this guy is gold, right? He wants to worship gold. He brings the gold uh, stuff from the temple. And he promises gold. That's all he's got is all stuff. That's, that's who he is. The king here, friends, is a fearful, small man. In fact, this is how I kind of picture the king. Looks something like this. If we can get it up there. He's, he's fearful. That's him, right? Okay? He's scared out of his mind. His color is lost. He is terrified. He's fearful to begin with. If you kind of read between the lines, you know the, the situation. The Persians are coming. <laughs> They're knocking at his door. Uh, the end is coming for this guy. Um, and likely, he's throwing this party to sort of cover up for his fear. Because he knows that an enemy army, far more powerful than he can defend against, is right there knocking. He also turns to these idols for hope. He's fearful because the Persians are coming. He's fearful now that the hand has appeared out of nowhere. He's a terrified little man. He's scared. Has ever been really scared? <laughs> I remember as a kid, I watched Nightmare on Elm Street. And uh, now, if I watch Nightmare on Elm Street now, it's like, man, those are bad special effects. That's what I think when I see it now, right? But as a kid, I was absolutely terrified watching that movie that Freddy Krueger was coming after me or something like that, right? I remember walking home. It's a little more serious. I was walking home uh, one time when I was uh, 14, 15. I was working somewhere. And in the middle of uh, late in the night, I finished my shift at 10. So it was like 10, 15, 10, 30 at night. And this big, scary van. It looks like our open hearts van. Sorry, Teddy but pulled over right next to me as I was walking by myself. And it just so happened that my, my mom was coming to meet me halfway, and at that moment I saw her, and I just ran towards her, and the van just took off. That was scary as a kid. Who knows what was going to happen there. Even as an adult, there are times where you get nervous. I remember uh, when I was on the admission trip to, to Pokhara in Nepal there, walking the streets at night there, and getting turned around, getting a little lost, and trying to figure out where I am, and a lot of stuff going on there at night there. You ever been scared? This is a scared man. He hides his fears. He hides his fears behind drink. He hides his fears behind sex. And he puts all his hope in idolatry. And it doesn't bode well for him. His end has come. And we saw that recently. A man by the name of Hugh Marston Hefner. Born April 9th, 1926. American businessman, magazine publisher, editor-in-chief of Playboy magazine. He was an advocate of sexual liberation. He was trying to free himself of the Puritan constraints of sexuality. 
He died September 27th, 2017. This is how Ross Duthat of the New York Times describes him. This is his article. That only prudish Christians and spoil sport feminists are willing to say that the man was obviously wicked and destructive. That even uh, prudish Christians and spoil sport feminists are willing to say that the man was obviously wicked and destructive is itself a reminder that the rot Hugh Hefner spread goes very, very deep. Ends with really a disgraceful reputation. More recently, Harvey Weinstein, American film producer and studio executive, produced several popular films, probably almost everybody, if not everybody here has seen some of them, won an Academy Award, garnered seven Tony Awards for producing a variety of winning plays and musicals, numerous allegations of sexual harassment, sexual assault, and rape against him, fired from his company's board of directors, expelled from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Ends in disgrace. He has almost unlimited power here, Belshazzar. No restraints, and he decides to live it up. And really behind it all is what? A frightened little boy who knows that his time has come. Friends, we can learn from his fear. I think we can learn from his fear. Uh, I think we, too, at times can hide behind our addictions, whether that's alcohol or pornography or drugs. I just encourage you, if that's you, uh, you're no different of a sinner than any. Everyone's a sinner. If that's your struggle, get the help you need. Get to AA, get to NA, get to a Celebrate Recovery. We don't offer it here anymore, but there are places you can go to get Celebrate Recovery. Stop hiding behind those addictions and come out into the light and deal with it. Uh, Know your fears. Know your fears. What do you struggle with? Is it due to a lack of trust in God? What are you afraid of? What are you filled with anxiety about? What are you filled with worry about? And friends, I would say too, be careful of what he does here. Uh, he, he, interestingly enough, takes his idols seriously, of gold, but he takes the true God as a joke. <laughs> as he said, he said, in a sense, spits in his eye. He should have done the exact opposite. Treated these idols as nothing but metal and wood and recognized the true and invisible God as Lord of all. Let's make sure, friends, we do the same, that we treat what is sacred with great respect. Yes, there's, there's joy when it comes to God. And yes, there's fun. And yes, there's even humor. Jesus used humor at times, but there is always a sense of reverence about him. As there are definitely spiritual forces at work. I've never seen a hand appear out of nowhere and write on a wall, thankfully, actually, because that's a statement of judgment here. But I've certainly seen that God is clearly at work and his hand is involved in so much. We'll talk more about that coming forward. Learn from his fear. Then we come to a confident queen. I like this queen. 10 to 12. uh, We meet the queen. Uh, This is most likely the queen mother. uh, Not one of his wives. This is uh, most likely the mother of Nebonidas. Uh, Her name would be Adad Gupi. Uh, And notice, friends, that she doesn't have that same fear as as, uh, Belshazzar has about this writing. In fact, she hears about it and she comes to go and offer some comfort. She's not even called. doesn't say that Belshazzar called her. She goes into the situation herself and comes to the aid of the king. <laughs> Think about it. should be the other way around, right? The king should come to the aid of a queen. But here's the queen coming to the aid of a frightened king. And she tells him, I know about a man in this kingdom. Uh, a man in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Which shows you that she's not quite a believer yet. Uh, but she has some interest. She has some desire, some recognition of this God. She's where Nebuchadnezzar was before he came to recognize the one true and the living God. She describes Daniel as a man of light, 
of understanding, of wisdom, a man with an, an excellent spirit, a man with knowledge, a man who's able to interpret dreams. She can see something about Daniel. He stands out to her. I think she's, in many ways, she's a glimmer of hope in a very frightened house. <laughs> the one confident person, perhaps, in the royal household. Notice that she wasn't attending the banquet. Oh, that says a lot, right? So she wasn't engaging in this drinking, sexual immorality, idolatry thing. She was separated from that. And you might say, well, it was his mother, so it would be kind of strange to have her there. But nevertheless, she separated herself from all that was going on there. Uh, she knows her history. <laughs> she knows her history, that, that Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel the chief. She, notice she also calls him Daniel rather than Belteshazzar. I think that says something, too. She recognizes him by his Hebrew name, which his name, remember, gives glory to God as opposed to the uh, Babylonian gods. And she uh, advises others, points others to him to seek out his wisdom. She knows something about Daniel is, and his God is, is better. <laughs> it's better than what these magicians and enchanters have to offer. I don't know if she really believes in the God of Daniel, but, but Daniel gives her hope in the midst of a dark situation. She has as much to lose as Belshazzar. If Persia comes, she's out too. Uh, But she's not filled with that same level of fear. She seems to have have faith, even in the midst of this situation. I I, I think we might be able to, in modern terms, we might be able to call her a seeker. (laughs) A seeker. Uh, I I don't know how she ends up. I don't know what happens to her after uh, after Persia takes over. Uh, This book of Daniel is not her story. God has her own has a story for her. Whatever that's, however that story ends up, this is really following Daniel. Uh, but I, 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 th- I would hope <laughs> that she came to believe and that she came to recognize the God of Daniel is the one true God and puts her faith in Him and in His grace. I would hope God may be at work in a way that I don't know and we don't know today. But friends, I would say the same for our church too. Is is, is First Baptist for Christians or for non Christians? Oh, right? Some people would say, no, the church exists for, it's, it's the only institution that exists for its non-members. Mm, that doesn't sound right. Others say the church is for Christians. Uh, that's what it and should be ministering to for Christians. No, I think it's a little of both, right? We are here to bring worship to God together as, as God's people. But we're also here, like a missionary outpost, trying to reach our city. To look to our city and to see those around us, perhaps, who are seekers, who are interested in the faith who are open, who want to learn, who want to hear about God. Uh, there are people, of course, who are totally closed off. No interest in hearing about God. What can you do about them? Pray and wait and never give up. Because <laughs> you never know. As long as it's called today, uh, harden not your heart. So there may be an opportunity. Who knows what God may do in the future. But there are others who are right now open and listening and wanting to know more. And it's our opportunity, friends, as Christians here in our city at First Baptist to, to open the doors, to reach out to our city, to make sure folks hear the good news of what God has done in His Son, Jesus. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's in a sense, there's two ways to, to reach people like this. There, there's the come and see. <laughs> so come to church and see. Uh, come be part of, of what we're doing and make sure that we're welcoming and that we're looking at our city and saying, if you come to church here, then we're not going to point you out and make you feel uncomfortable. We're not going to embarrass you in any way. We're just glad that you've come. And maybe there are some here right now in that situation. We're, we're thankful. Come and see. This is what Christians do when we gather. This is how we worship. This is what we listen to from the scriptures. This is what we do when we fellowship with one another. Come and see. 
And I just want to let you know, of course, I mentioned earlier that Christmas Eve is a Sunday this year, which I think provides us a great opportunity to invite family and friends and neighbors and coworkers to say, hey, would you like to go to church on Christmas? Christmas Sunday morning, come to church, and uh, you'd be more than welcome uh, to, to join us. So come and see. But there's also go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. Not one or the other. Uh, so it's not wait for people to come to you on Sundays. We also have a responsibility to go and tell, to, to use all the network of relationships that God has given us, to look for people who are open, willing to hear about God's grace, and to witness and welcome. Witness and welcome. Tell them the good news and welcome them to God's people. We see here, I think, in the queen, someone who's open, who sees the light and understanding of Daniel and is drawn to it, and it gives her a sense of hope and confidence. Then we come to Daniel himself, 13 to 23, and we see here a fearless witness, a fearless witness for God. Uh, Daniel comes to witness to the king. Uh, The king says to him, "I've, I've heard... I've heard that the spirit of the gods, again, not God, but gods, is among you. Um, and, and if you can do this, Daniel, I'd like to see you doing it. So he's still very doubtful. Uh, Calvin takes him in a very negative way, that he's almost so skeptical of Daniel, he doesn't expect anything of it. In fact, when he mentions here, you're one of the exiles from Judah, he's sort of uh, putting him in his place, reminding him, you're, you're nothing in this kingdom. You're not even... You're no longer necessarily the chief guy. You're just an exile from here. I don't know if we necessarily have to take him that negatively, uh, but he still is looking to Daniel. So Daniel says again and again, it's not me that has this power and ability and to interpret dreams. It's God. It's the, the most high God, but he has no recognition of that. It's all about Daniel. Can you do anything? And then he tries to bribe him with his gifts or bribe God, perhaps, with his gifts. Again, that's all he's got. He's got his gold and his power, and he's going to use that as best he can. Daniel's response, I love it. Keep your gifts. Keep them and give them to somebody else. I'm not interested in that. However, I will help you. And I will interpret this for you. He gives, in a sense, a a respectful rebuke to the king. Uh, He reminds him of Nebuchadnezzar. Those who were here with us last week, you may remember Nebuchadnezzar's sort of fall from power and then his restoration. He reminds him of the pride of his father, his ancestor, before in his pride and how God humbled him and how he came to recognize that God is truly God. And he says to him, you, but you have not humbled your heart, Belshazzar. In fact, you have blasphemed God. You have done something horrible. You've burnt the very vessels of this temple of God's house and have used them in the worship of stone and gold and silver and celebrated with your concubines and with wine. Daniel is willing to help the king, but notice he's bold with him. He's willing to confront him. He's willing to warn him. Uh, Daniel's a bold witness. Uh, By the way, Daniel's an old man at this time. We're used to the young Daniel, right, in the first few chapters. A lot of years have passed. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar dies in 562. The year is around 539 now. Daniel is around 80 years old. So you always think of Daniel as a young man when he's in the lion's den and all that. Now, he's an old man at this point in time. Over two decades have passed. He's been generations now in the palace. And notice, he is just fearless for God at this point. Death doesn't scare him in the least. Willing to trust God, willing to be bold, willing to call Belshazzar to repentance. Saying, you know, God is not the one on trial here. Belshazzar, you are. I love that. Belshazzar thinks Daniel's on trial. Brings Daniel in and says, Daniel, you prove yourself to me. And it's really the exact opposite. Daniel's saying, no, no, Belshazzar, you're the one on trial before God. 
That's how it really is. Uh, I like what uh, C.S. Lewis said, that the ancient man approached God as the accused person approaches his judge. But for the modern man, the roles are reversed. He is the judge and God is on the dock. <laughs> In some ways, that's how Belshazzar sees it, as if God is on the dock. His God, uh, Daniel's God is on the dock when the truth is it's the other way around. Belshazzar, you have to answer to God. Daniel's fearless. He's fearless. Uh, Belshazzar could have killed him. He could have exiled him. He could have jailed him. He could have tortured him. He could have just scolded him. Anything he could have. I mean, he's the one in the place of power. But Daniel is not looking for his approval. He's not looking for his own safety. He's definitely not looking for riches or any more honor. He doesn't want any of that. He wants to be faithful and please the Lord. He recognizes the sovereignty of God. And because of that, he walks without fear. Uh, let's just listen. Let's learn from the fearlessness of Daniel. Learn from the fearlessness of Daniel. Don't fear worldly power. You know, we, we, we want to be liked. We want to be accepted. We want to be part of that in crowd. Now, be willing to follow the Lord no matter what that means, no matter where that leads us. You see that again and again in Scripture that, that God's people are willing to, to confront worldly power. Well, that's John the Baptist with, with Herod Antipas or the Apostle Paul when he stands in front of the, the Roman leaders and, and calls them to repentance as well. Uh, never aligning with one specific political party or one specific individual. Be willing to speak the truth into any and every situation. And don't fear death. Don't fear death. For those who belong to Christ in particular, we have no fear needed of death. I was talking to a brother who turned 40. And I said, how does it feel to turn 40? Because I'm going to be turning 40 soon, next year. And he says, I feel like I'm one year closer. I love that answer. Friends, I've seen many, I've been able to minister to many who face death without fear. I love that. Just more recently, I've been ministering, I prayed for earlier to Drew Deacon, a long-term member from years ago of this church. And asked her about it. She has a brain tumor and uh, she's in home hospice care. It could be any day. And in talking to her, I said, how do you feel? Are you afraid? And she says, no, I'm not afraid at all. I'm just concerned about those I'm leaving behind. Ready to go be with the Lord. Also be bold, as Daniel is here, be willing to confront a brother about sin. Be willing to, to help them out of it. That's what real love looks like. Not flattery. Not always telling somebody what they want to hear and pleasing them and buttering them up, but being willing to be, confront them and lead them to the Lord and to what is right in His eyes. And then being will, be willing, as Daniel here, to be a witness, to open your mouth, to tell people about Jesus, to welcome them. Then we come, 24 to 30, to the Most High God. Most High God. We learn about this writing. This writing on the wall. Uh, the writing comes from the very presence of God, it says. From the Most High God. And we learn about the four words that are written on the wall. They may have been, uh, kind of, your mind may have been kind of taken by them. Uh, There's mene, uh, tekel, and parson. Mene is written twice, so that's why I say four words. Uh, they do mean something uh, in the noun form. Uh, they mean mina, which is a form of, of a money, currency unit. Uh, shekel, uh, and then a half a shekel. So, in decreasing value uh, of money. However, he takes it in a, in a verb form. Instead, in a verb form, this is what they mean. They mean numbered, weighed, and divided. Numbered, weighed, and divided. Mene, God has numbered your days, Belshazzar. They're coming to an end. He says it twice to emphasize it. 
Tekel, God has weighed you and found you wanting. And then Parson or Perez, which also sounds like Persia. There's a reason for that too. God will divide your kingdom between the Medes and the Persians. I remember the dream from a few weeks back here. The head of gold will be replaced by the chest of silver. Your kingdom will come to an end. When Belshazzar hears this, he does try to gift Daniel. Uh, again, Daniel takes it, I guess, receives it. He knows it's probably short-lived anyway. But again, it's sad. That's all he has. He's still focused on gold. His whole mind is still on gold. Not on repentance, but on rewarding him. That same night, he's killed, and Darius takes over. Friends, you know that God is the main character in the Bible. God is the main character in Daniel, and he's the main character in the Bible. He's unseen, so in a sense, sometimes we tend to forget that he's the one who's ultimately in control, that his hand is in everything. But here we actually have God put his hand into our world and to reveal himself, that he's actually shown himself. It reminds you of Exodus 31. Moses gave, uh, then he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony. Tablets of stone written with the very finger of God. And so here God breaks through into our world and shows himself. But actually, friends, his hand is involved in everything. It's involved in all of our lives individually. Uh, he is the judge, and it's time for Belshazzar end to reign and for Darius to begin. It's time for the kingdom to move from Babylon to Persia. And interestingly enough, friends, it's the, with the rise of Persia that the power leads eventually to Cyrus, who makes a decree, returns the Jews back to Jerusalem, and eventually the temple is rebuilt, and that's where eventually Jesus re-enters the picture. So God is working out his perfect plan uh, by his own hand. Friends, God is the main character in all of Scripture, and in our own lives. See the Most High God and work, working out His plan. Recognize that He's the God who is the judge and that He is in control. I know there is a right fear. We can live without fear in this world, but there is a right fear, and that's the fear of God, which is a reverence and an awe before Him and His power. In a sense, friends, He is the judge. He will number our days, that He weighs our hearts and minds and actions. And he will in the end divvy up judgment for us as well. We'll be numbered and weighed and divided. He's involved in individual lives as well as the rise and the fall of nations and kings. Recognize he's in control. But those who are in Jesus have nothing to fear because he holds the whole world in his hands. And those who belong to him, he will keep for himself forever. What a promise that is, friends. Nothing to fear. Not the failure, not the trials of this life, and not even death itself for those who belong to him. Friends, when we trust in God's sovereignty, we can live without fear. Belshazzar lived in fear. The queen was perhaps a seeker. Daniel was a bold and fearless witness. But the God most high is the one who's in control. And our focus is on Him. Do we need to fear God? Well, like I said, we honor, we respect, we reverence Him. We don't have to fear His judgment because Jesus paid it all. We are sinners. And again, as we've said before, we don't always identify so much with Daniel or his three friends. Sometimes we identify more with Nebuchadnezzar or maybe even Belshazzar hiding behind our sin. 
When we turn to Christ, we find grace and forgiveness. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There's a wonder before God. Tim Keller said, fear in the Bible means to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of God and His love. But as far as judgment goes, in Christ we are free in Him. Why fear anything else if God is on our side? I read that 114 times in the Bible it says, fear not. Fear not. And that fear of God removes all of the fears. Now, I'm not sure what you're fearing right now. Maybe there's something going on in your life, whether that's something financially or your job or some health issue that you're, that's causing you to fear. Or maybe something in your family, someone you know and you love is going through something, whether that's a spouse or kids or grandkids or cousins or uncles or aunts or whatever. Somebody is struggling right now and it's causing you to be fearful. Or something about your church that's causing you to be fearful. Or something about our world and all of its chaos right now. I want you to just, uh, as I said, there's 114 times the Bible says, fear not. I'm not going to read all 114 of them. But pretty close. <laughs> I want to read a bunch of them. And as you hear these constant command to fear not, think about your life. Think about what you're going through. And let God's word, in a sense, wash over you. Genesis 15, 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Genesis 26, 24, and the Lord appeared to him in the same, in the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Exodus 14, 13, and Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today shall never see you shall never see again. Exodus 20, 20, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Numbers 14, 19, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Deuteronomy 1, 21, see the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Deuteronomy 3.22 You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Deuteronomy 23 And shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.8 It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Joshua 10.8 And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. 
Joshua 6.10, I say to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. 1 Kings 17.13, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. This is in the face of a famine. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. 1 Chronicles 22.13, Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. The Psalms, of course, are filled with this. Psalm 27.3, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Psalm 46.2, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Psalm 91.5, You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Psalm 118.6, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isaiah 7.4, And he said to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Isaiah 35, 4. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Isaiah 49. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news, lift up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Isaiah 41, 13, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not. I am the one who helps you. Isaiah 43, 1, Do, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Isaiah 44, 8, Fear not, nor be afraid, have I not told you from of old and declared it, and you are my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Isaiah 51, 7. Listen to me, you who know righteousness. The people in whose heart is my law, fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. Isaiah 54, 4. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. Isaiah 54, 14, In righteousness you shall be established, you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Jeremiah thirty ten. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. Jeremiah 42, 11, Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. Joel 2, 21, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Haggai 2, 4-5, Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. 
Zechariah 8.13, And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. Matthew 10.28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Mark 5.36, But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Luke 2.10, The angel said to them, Christmas, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Luke 8.50, But Jesus, on hearing this, answered, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Luke 12, 7, Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Luke 12, 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. John 12, 15, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 1 Peter 3, 6 says, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do, and do not fear anything that is frightening. And finally, Revelation 1, 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, meaning Jesus, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first, and I am the last. been said, friends, fear knocked on the door, faith opened it, and no one was there. Pray with me. Our gracious Father, as people who live in a fallen world, as those who struggle with sin and worry and fear, I'm sure, Lord, everyone here can think of areas of our life in which we fear, in which we are filled with anxiety and worry. And so, Lord, we look to you as our sovereign God, who's in control of the nations and the rise and the fall of kings, but also of our individual, personal lives. And we put our trust in you, Lord. Strengthen us by faith. Show us yourself more and more, Lord, that as we become that much more so overwhelmed with the awe of a powerful and mighty God who rules over our lives, all these little fears would begin to disappear as we await to be in your presence. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.